0: Can you take what you experienced on psychedelics and start to actualize it in your everyday life? So it's not just, oh, LSD is my super highway to magic. It's like, I love magic in my everyday life and LSD just helps remind me of more.
1: Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. Hi, sweet friends, and welcome to a very different and a very special episode of Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? And today, as you can see, again, we are not in our regularly scheduled studio. (laughs) We are in an adorable hotel in Athens, Greece. We have just returned from the island of Crete, which is just south of Greece. It is a part of Greece. And I'm here with my dear friend, the amazing, the irreparable, is that right? That's not right, irreplaceable. <laughs> like you can't imitate you. Yes. Yeah, irreplaceable,
0: in- inimitable. Inimitable. Maybe?
1: Great, we'll go with that. <laughs> the one and only Layla Martin. So this is part three of a four-part series, so I would highly recommend that you go back and watch part one where we went to Eleusis, part two where we went to Delphi, Delphi, and Pan's Cave, and Pan's Cave. (laughs) So part one is on Why Isn't Everyone Doing This, part two is on Layla's show which is called This Tantric Life, and today is part three, and we're also going to do a part four because We packed a lot of life into this High Priestess pilgrimage. We have done initiation after initiation, and there's been so much to share and to integrate. And today's episode is really about you. We are gonna share the adventures that we had just yesterday. And we really want this episode to be more practical, more actionable for anyone who is feeling inspired by these stories or for anyone who is ready to reclaim their own knowing of their own divinity through these beautiful, potent, powerful practices. We're gonna give you some more 3D practical ways to get started. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, live from Athens, Greece, Layla Martin.
0: Here we are.
1: <laughs> the cleaning people were leaving, and I was like, Certainly, they think we're about to film a porn.
0: <laughs> and I was like, If there's any hotel in the world that would celebrate that, it's this hotel because they actually have like naked photos and they celebrate partying. And I was like,
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they're so happy and kind.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually just itching my mosquito bites because I got so many mosquito bites in Crete. Oh my God, I'm like covered.
1: <laughs> well, so I think that's an interesting lead in because. You know, it's easy to look at us, oh, here we are in this pink bed with our nice robes and we're on this European Grecian vacation. And all of that is true. And we are outrageously fortunate, outrageously privileged. I feel so grateful to have been on this journey with you. And it was not all sunshine and roses. Like we had to move through some darkness. We had to move through some challenges in order to reach the heights and the depths of the ecstasy that we accessed. And in my experience, that is a pretty reliable formula or pattern for most medicine journeys and even most sacred sexuality journeys. Like you usually come up against some sort of a wall, Mm -hmm. and if you have a guide or a shaman or a therapist or um, someone who's simply done it before who's helping hold space for you, then I think it's much easier, and that's one of the things I want to talk about today. But before we do that, I want to just let everyone know. So yesterday we were in the island of Crete, and the reason why we even went to Crete is, well, twofold. One, one of the first times Layla and I really ever dropped in, and I would talk about this a lot, but when I really like zoomed into your eyeballs, I felt like I was looking at a slideshow of all the many, many lives that we have lived together. Mm-hmm. And you clocked one of them. And I think you said we, we were high priestesses in Crete together. Yeah. And everything in my body was like, yes, that feels true. That feels true. By the way, I did not know what a high priestess was or what Crete was, but it just felt like this gnosis, hilariously. It felt like this deep physical knowing. And so it felt like, like an imperative, like some sort of a dharmic imperative to go back to this island and to go with you. Mm. And so yesterday's journey, we started at a temple and a castle called Gnosis. And what's interesting is that it's one of the only, let's call it like sovereign towns, like not a kingdom, but really a queendom that was built around female leadership, where the high priestesses were not just being celebrated or counseled by the sovereigns. They were the sovereigns, like they were the ones running the government and and the reason why that is of note because y'all know i think the soul has no gender and the closer you get to god the less gender matters and yet when you look at the 3d reality of our planet right now it's less than 3% of government positions are held by women and when 50% of the population is in fact female and there's such an underrepresentation one that does not it's not great when representation does not match the actual demographic and two you could make an argument that if there were more women in power, the environment would be in a much different state, the way that we treat our children would be much different, the way that um, finances are distributed around the planet would be very different, the way that we treat our elderly would be very different, and this has actually been proven. When we see more women in power, more women having more money, then they invest it back into the community, they invest it into the next generation, they invest it into agriculture and into children. And so there's value in examining the very rare matriarchs. And I'm not an advocate for matriarchy over patriarchy. I am an advocate for balance. I am an advocate for equity. I am an advocate for people having access to their own divinity so that they can become sovereign in and of themselves. And that seems to be very much the medicine that was being served up in Crete. So we started at this beautiful temple and queendom called Gnosis, and then we descended deep into a cave, an ancient cave where there has been beautiful sacred practices and rituals happening in here since the Neolithic period. It is one of Crete's most sacred caves. It is one of Crete's most ancient caves, and things got primordial. Things got weird in this cave in the best way, and we're going to share what happened with us energetically. We're going to share the medicine that we were dancing with on this journey as we go. But Leila, I would love for you to give us a little bit more context. Like, when did you first hear about Crete? Why did you want to go to Crete? And can you tell us about the Minoan civilization that was there?
0: The reason Crete has been so special to me I went when I was 17 was that in high school I learned that it was one of the ancient matriarchal societies where women held leadership they held spiritual leadership and that it was overrun like that that culture got destroyed at a certain point but that it had been this culture of feminine leadership in ancient Europe, right? And the temple we went to, Gnosis, it's like, it peaked like 1500 to 1700 BC,
1: so. And it's one of the oldest castles in Europe, yes?
0: Palaces, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's, yes, it's a very, very ancient civilization. And so a lot of wisdom. And one of the things I love about it is there's this iconography of high priestesses, bare-breasted holding snakes, from the Gnosis Temple, from that civilization. And so to me, it was and is very indicative that those high priestesses were practicing with kundalini energy with serpent energy
1: Yeah. so can you just I'm not sure that we've actually talked about kundalini energy on the show yet Mm. and how the snakes are represented in kundalini so can you tell us what what is kundalini I know that word is big and people use it in a lot of different ways but how do you define kundalini
0: yeah so I can really share about kundalini through the transmission and lineage that I awoken it in which is tantra And so kundalini is a Sanskrit word, and it is a word for goddess consciousness. Mm. And kunda actually means coiled. So it's like it's coiled like a serpent at the base of your spine. And as it wakes up, it creates these serpentine movements. So there's like a wave like motion that happens and you see it in people who are having kundalini awakenings. The closest word we have to it in English is like bioenergy. It's like uh, activated energy inside of you Mm -hmm. that is related to your physical form, but more energetic than just your physicality. Mm. And so this is a phenomenon that I'm surprised it's not more studied because once you know about it and you see it awaken in people, it gets awoken through breath work. It can be awoken through sexuality. It can be awoken through yogic practices. In fact, one of the deep purposes of yoga and many forms of meditation is a Kundalini awakening. Mm -hmm. That is what is intended. So sometimes in the West, we can be really scared of Kundalini and Kundalini awakenings, but it's actually the intention of the yogic tradition is to have this energetic awakening. Plant medicine, right, if you go and do ayahuasca, you'll experience kundalini awakenings. And so there's different words for it in different cultures, Mm -hmm. but it's a recognized phenomenon. And around the world, the kind of classic symbol for it is the snake. And so kunda, this coiled serpent-like energy, is part of the tantric tradition. Mm -hmm. And you also see this snake imagery in uh, isis temples right even uh, the crowns of egyptian pharaohs and yeah they have a a cobra coming out of the third eye Mm -hmm. also
1: i think interestingly in the american medical association the caduceus You know, it's the sword, which arguably represents the spine, and then the two snakes coiling up. Also, it looks very much like a double helix of a DNA strand. Mm -hmm. So it's like this life force energy, the very thing that creates and animates all of humanity. Yes.
0: And what it is, is it's actually embodied consciousness. So if you think about when you meditate, right, and we say you're awakening consciousness, Like, that's kind of the idea behind meditation. I'm becoming more conscious. And ultimately, when you meditate, you wake up to your true nature, which the closest word we have to that is usually consciousness. Like, I am consciousness itself. I am awareness itself. So if you think about it, there's a specific conscious wisdom in the body. And so Kundalini is this awakening of the conscious wisdom of the body. And so when it awakens, that's why your spine does the serpentine movement, is actually your body is preparing itself and the consciousness of Kundalini is preparing your nervous system for higher and higher states of spiritual awakening. Mm. And so you'll see people shake when they have Kundalini awakenings. And what this is doing is it's actually the wisdom of the energy shaking off stress and shaking off tension because a lot of our mental stories have made our bodies tense and our nervous systems tense. And so if we wanna prepare for spiritual awakening, relaxation is key. So we think sometimes of people shaking as being a scary phenomenon, but in the tantric tradition and in many spiritual traditions, they will actually have you shake as a spiritual practice. And it will be very normal to see bodies shaking and moving because this is a really important part of preparing the body for spiritual activation.
1: Mm, beautiful, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Okay, so in Crete, you'll see statues and iconography of these priestesses, of these goddesses, like bare-breasted holding the snakes, and the snakes are representing that kundalini, that consciousness embodied, Yes. beautiful. And so you went for the first time when you were 17. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the Minoan civilization, and what, do you know why it was a matriarchy? Why were the high priestesses so revered?
0: Well, what's fascinating is, you know, historians and anthropologists are really putting together the history of this and they know that there was goddess worship, like potent goddess worship happening in Anatolia. So ancient parts of Turkey, ancient parts of the Middle East. And so thousands of years ago. You know three to five thousand years ago some of those people these ancient goddess worshipers actually migrated to crete settled in crete and so The idea is that they took this very ancient goddess worship. And so when you see like the Venusian figurines from I think it's like 30 or 40,000 years ago in Europe, right? Those super voluptuous figurines that have been excavated that made anthropologists believe that there was goddess worship happening all over the continent of europe and that perhaps our very very ancient um, ancestors all over the world worshiped the goddess and had this deep reverence for femininity for fertility for the female body and those people Um, started to develop temples and forms of worship that were reverential to gods and goddesses, actually, but that included the beauty of feminine expression, meaning childbirth and marriage and sexuality and fertility as part of your deities and part of what they represented and part of what you worshipped. And so those people migrated to Crete. And so it's this ancient lineage of proto-goddess worship. And in that society, high priestesses were revered. It was you know, possible to be queens that held a lot of power. It had matriarchal lineage, meaning that power could be passed through women. And so something that was so fascinating about this land is what was society like? What was it like when women held that amount of power? And one of the things that I love so much about um, the, the teachings of matriarchy is that you rarely find matriarchal societies, if ever, I actually don't know of one, where women punished men, where women ruled over men. Instead, what happened when women were given a lot of power is what you're talking, what you talked about at the beginning of this episode, they share power. They actually share power with men. So ancient Minoan society, when we say a matriarchy, it doesn't mean there weren't kings. It doesn't mean that there weren't men in power. What it means is that there were women in equal positions of power to men, spiritually and in government. And so when you see matriarchies historically, it's never like the reverse of patriarchy. It's never like men get their power stripped away from them, men have rights taken away from them. Instead, as you're talking about, women invest in education. They invest in the future. They care for the environment in a different kind of way. There is generally, you can see, more compassion through the government. And in fact, Rwanda is a great example of this, where after the war, they simply tragically had lost so many men that the government became run predominantly by women. And what they saw was one of the fastest shifts in the quality of education in any society ever because the women ran that government and they invested in children, they invested in the future, they invested in education and it became this, example like a shining example of what women can do when they're in governmental power and so we can both see that in modern times and it's fascinating in crete because potentially this is a society that had never experienced women being stripped of their power to begin with it had never experienced women being denied economic spiritual and political rights and so the transmission of that culture the transmission of the spirituality has something to teach us because as you said on this trip many times where is patriarchy in my body and as we started to ask ourselves in crete what would my body be like who would i be without patriarchy if i'd never been taught that I was a second-class citizen, that I deserved less somehow, deserved to make less money, deserved to be less safe, that my voice had less power or influence or impact.
1: That my sexuality is something to be hunted. And taken from.
0: To live in a sexually predatory society. Yeah, and when I say patriarchy, I don't mean like, fuck men or men are terrible. What I mean is a system in which men in positions of power used that power to deny women power and i think that that caused men a tremendous amount of pain and that no one was really that happy under patriarchy and so when we say matriarchy exactly as you said we don't mean now women rule over men what we mean is when women have equal power socially politically economically what kind of magic gets to happen in society, what kind of dignity gets returned to things that women value, like childbirth, like future generations, like the earth, like our bodies and what kind of wisdom gets channeled. And what I see is that when women have that kind of power and when women own their position as high priestesses, they love to crown men as Kings. They love to feel men in their spiritual power that they actually are like, come on, let's go. And it's such a Testament to women's hearts because people are like, all those angry feminists. And I'm like, look, I'm like, men took all of the resources, all of the power, told women what to do for a few thousand years. And women get angry for, like, a brief period of time. And then, for the most part, we're like, hey, water under the bridge. Like, let's just invest in the environment. Like, just give me equal access to political decisions and social power and political power. And maybe
1: autonomy over my own body.
0: Yeah, and let's like just move forward. And you're like, oh my God, women are amazing. <laughs>
1: it's. I, I want to just bring up because it's it's striking a chord on race as well. Like I think I was watching a talk even from the 60s or 70s and there was this white woman on stage addressing a group full of um, like middle-aged, mostly white people and she said, Okay, I have a question. Anyone in this room who would like to be treated how Black people are treated in America, please stand up.
2: Mm.
1: No one stood up. Mm. I said, I don't think you understood the question. Any any of you white people in this room who would like to be treated the way Black people are treated in this country, please stand up. And no one stood up. And and I think that part of this systemic white supremacy that we're swimming in, just like we're swimming in, you know, misogyny and patriarchy there is a fear that if the people who have been oppressed come into power Mm. that the tables will turn Mm. right like i think that many part of this ongoing white supremacy and and racism is the fear that Mm. like oh no if black people have equal power or all races who have been you know the victim of racism Mm -hmm. come into power that they would do to us what we have done to them yeah Right. And I think I feel the same fear around, oh, if women come into power, then they will take men's power away. Right. And, and we have to instead, like, well, I guess we don't have to do anything, but it seems like it would behoove us to create a model and to really hold the frequency of what it looks like mm-hmm. when there are people in power that equally represent the people who are on the planet. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, look at Barack and Michelle Obama, you get grace and integrity and deep leadership because oftentimes having come from a racist or misogynistic or homophobic system, it does engender, not always, but a certain kind of backbone, integrity, but also compassion for others.
1: Sweet friend, if you are loving this conversation and would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, I want to invite you to join me at com slash why this. Now there you're going to find free bonus content that we simply could not fit inside of the episodes. I'm talking mini masterclasses with our amazing guests like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin, Blue, Vailana, and myself. So come experience the tools that we reveal in the podcast for yourself. Simply head to com slash why this. So, After we left this beautiful Gnosis Palace, then we descended into one of, like I said, one of the most sacred, ancient,
0: huge, wild, activated
1: caves I've ever experienced. And do make sure you listen to episode two on This Tantric Life where we talk about where we went into Pan's Cave on Layla's podcast. Um so this was our this is our second journey into a cave. Second cave. Like why would we spend like a day of our vacation in a dark, wet, muddy cave? Yeah. Like that's that's probably weird for a lot of folks, but I think it's important to note couple of things i noticed one <laughs> i'll give my i'll give my sort of first impressions and number one I,
0: we are weird so we did spend our holiday in a dark muddy cave 100 percent. even <laughs>
1: before we went one of the someone in athens was like oh crete is where the weirdos are you'll fit right in totally <laughs> totally so as we were walking up it it there's a, a small opening of the cave and then it, it opens wider and deeper and wider and deeper and wider and deeper and it's so insular and it does feel very womb-like like -hmm. Like it does actually feel like you're going into the womb of the earth Mm -hmm. like this matrix point of the earth and if you think about you know if we're not living in such a you know industrial society and you're living in the woods like, to go into a cave, you're, you're safe from predators, you're perhaps safe from other tribes. You know that no one, if, if someone's guarding the front of the cave, like, you feel safe in there. So it might be a place you would go for childbirth or lovemaking or rituals or ceremonies. And when you go into this cave, it, feel, it felt to me like another planet, like another universe, and simultaneously so deeply of Earth energy. Yeah. And y'all, we get there and Layla is like for sure like at least half goat. She's just like traversing these slippery, wet, muddy rocks as if she's lived here for thousands of years. Meanwhile, I'm like butt-sliding down the slidy rocks and <laughs> really taking my time, uh, but it was fascinating watching you traverse the rocks. But can you tell us a little bit about what you know about what's been happening in these caves for thousands of years, and why did you want to spend a whole day of your vacation in a cave?
0: So a long, long time ago, I was reading this book on the Mediterranean, and it talked about how in Europe... High priestesses held their rituals in caves. And like you're saying, it didn't make sense to me back then as a modern person. I was like, why would you choose a cave? Because we think of caves as like dark, scary bats, cave spiders, because there are cave spiders. I ran into a giant cave spider in the cave. And, you know, we think of it as like, you know, damp and and creepy and there is an element to that and you know when we were in the cave as you're saying we got to see it through a different lens of ancient people of oh it would have felt so safe because if you were out in the forest someone could come from any direction an animal a different tribe anything like that so caves are where women would go to birth it is where you would go to do vulnerable things like make love and so this cave was, was so special and so sacred uh, to ancient people and caves all over the world have been sacred grounds for ritual practices and because women were spiritual leaders in the past caves still carry this imprint and transmission of female spiritual leadership that's so powerful and as you were saying this cave they found you know neolithic um, worship Uh, items when they excavated it. And it was used as a goddess worship cave then for thousands and thousands of years and became a fertility worship spot in the Minoan culture. So it was like, okay, let's go there and tap into this ancient vibration of fertility and birth and female spiritual
1: leadership. And one thing I think is fascinating about our trip is that we've, we've gone back in time yeah. right Like we started with eleusis and then we went to delphi and then we've come to crete and into this cave so like neolithic right like we want to just really i want people to like understand like the frequency on the planet and and the the consciousness of humans at that time yeah. because i was asking you i was like do you think that knowing what we knew going into it colored our experience, or do you think we just tapped into that sort of raw, primordial energy? And I think our answer for for both of us is like, no, we just felt the energy of the cave because it did get almost pre-verbal. It got wild and primal and very in the body, not so intellectual, not so heady, not so logical, but like deep gnosis, deep transmission. So I think it's interesting to know, so we got to the cave and we went off to the side and there was a sweet couple there who were going in to look around and we did our own opening ceremony on the side where we set our intentions, we grounded, we gave thanks to the land and we took we blessed and then took the medicine which we were taking for the day which was LSD yeah. and interesting to note that LSD is sort of like the child of or descendant of ergot which is what was hypothetically or supposedly served at Eleusis which is the first place that we went and so part of this pilgrimage for us has been both reclaiming the frequency of what it is like when there was female leadership in politics, female leadership in spirituality, but also women serving medicine. And and how people were using both sacred sexuality and psychedelics as a visceral pathway to the divine and as a way to help people remember what they are, mm. to help people remember that we're actually all God pretending to be human, that we're all actually the ocean pretending to be the wave. And to have a visceral experience of that is so wildly, vastly different from someone telling you about God from a pulpit. You know, to read a book about God is very different from to have a physical, beautiful, blissful, ecstatic remembering of that collective cosmic intelligence. And that is one of the gifts of psychedelics. That is one of the things that these ancient medicines can do. Now, LSD is obviously a derivative of, it's not a naturally occurring substance. It's a derivative of something that,
0: I mean, I guess you could argue that all of its nature, right? I think that that's actually a misunderstanding. So um, Albert Hoffman, I believe, did synthesize original LSD from ergot. And so this actually comes from wheat or barley. And so what happens is you can pull the actual LSD molecule from ergot itself, so it can be natural. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: But sometimes it's not? Is there a differentiation there?
0: Well, I think because it is now made in a lab, people think of it as unnatural, but Uh it actually originates from a natural source. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and there's some idea of like wheat and barley being so sacred in... Europe, classical European cultures, being like a nod to the fact that it was not only used to make beer, but used to make this proto-LSD, natural LSD.
1: Wow, beautiful. So so we did our blessing, we set our intention, we took the medicine, and it takes a little while, like 15 to 45-ish minutes before it really starts to take effect and shift your lens of perception, shift your consciousness. And so our, our sweet couple friends left and we had our yoga mats because we didn't really know where we were going to land. And the woman looked at us and said, are you going to do some yoga? And we said, no, more um, ceremony. And she's like, "Uh, oh, for the goddess. She said one for the goddess. One for the goddess. Ah! And so they left and we, we descended down. And Layla, again, part goat, really starts like just like deep into the cave. She's gone. I don't know where she is. Like that's how big this cave is. I don't even know where she's gone. And then about... It felt like a 100, but probably 20 to 30 Italian tourists started coming in, and we're really looking for like some private, secret, sacred goddess weird ritual time. And as the medicine's just starting to hit me, and it's starting to get cold and damp and slippery, and something you should know about me, I am not half goat. I don't know, I think i become like part duck in there or something. And I just basically forget how to walk on slippery rocks. They feel very scary to me. And so my nervous system actually gets pretty freaked out as I'm descending the cave by myself, feeling nervous that I might fall. And it's it's deep and big and vast and I've lost Layla. And now I'm being surrounded by men who are yelling in a language that I don't understand and they're on walkie-talkies and they're taking pictures. And so my nervous system gets really upregulated. And finally, I was like, Layla, Layla. And I heard her voice, but she seemed like a lifetime away. And finally, I got to her and I finally sat down and I just started weeping, crying. (laughs) Because I think it was, again, When you go into these beautiful ecstatic portals, there's usually something needs to be cleared, similar to what you said in the Kundalini Awakening, the body wants to shake off that stress to make space for the outrageous ecstasy, for the actual frequency of God to pour into your body. And so I just sat down and had a good cry and you were so beautiful. You just held me and loved me through my cry. And... And then we found our spot we're like, okay, where do we want to be?
0: And let's pause here and say that this is advanced psychedelics. Like there is a desire in me in a safe cave with no cliffs for people to get to a place in their life where they can take plant medicine in nature right, where they can have that level of connection to the natural world. Mm-hmm. And you know, in psychedelics, uh, in, in, you know, in the research, in the literature, the most important factor for people having a good trip is set and setting. And what that means is how is the space held and how do you feel inside of it? So taking psychedelics in nature, I think, is a sacred part of being human. And in ancient societies and modern plant medicine societies, right, you would be taught how to do that by a shaman, by someone who is a skilled guide when it comes to that medicine, to that psychedelic. it's really important to consider that if you're going to try psychedelics for the first time, you want two things. Number one, an excellent trained guide. And whether that's someone who comes from the shamanic tradition, who is deeply trustworthy, who you've done research on, who people recommend, or a highly trained therapist, who in some US states now, uh, can legally serve plant medicine, Mm -hmm. right? A therapist or a doctor uh, to guide you so that you actually develop the ability to navigate your own psychedelic experience, right? Because that's where you and I are at. So we can go be in nature and we can ride the waves of what a psychedelic like LSD will bring up inside of us. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna point out that that is advanced, that is masterful and requires a lot of personal development and work. So for anyone who's curious about psychedelics, there are these amazing ways to start where you can learn how to navigate it in a very safe, very held space before you work your way up to being able to, let's say, take LSD in a cave. (laughs) A slippery, dark cave with big cliffs. We absolutely do not recommend (laughs) that anyone does that. And when I was there, I was like, wow, I do want people who have learned how to navigate psychedelic reality to be able to take psychedelics in nature. Right there is something so sacred and beautiful and human about that. And
1: you could do it with a guide or a medicine person mm-hmm. or a shaman in nature. Yes. Or you know even you know a friend or community member who has been dancing and working with the medicine for a long time. Yes. Um, and so thank you for saying that and naming that. And just to give a legit disclaimer of disclaimers, this is a story about what we did on our vacation, not a recommendation. And also, you and I have both been doing either meditation or plant medicine or therapy or somatic experiencing or ecstatic work for well over, like, I mean, 40 years cumulatively between the two yeah. of us. Yeah, 20 years each. So it's, there's, there's a chapter for everything, right? Yeah. There's a phase for everything. And if we try to skip the steps, sometimes we get um, humbled by the medicine.
0: Yes. And that's something that we want to talk about in this journey is, like, how can you listening who are tuning into this podcast, work your way towards some of this magic, right? Because everything that we're sharing, exactly as you said, I had LSD for the first time 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I've been meditating for 20 years, right? So that foundation of self-knowing, right? Like, Like a decade of therapy allows me to be in a primordial cave and be able to navigate myself. And I believe every human has the ability to be that Mm self-masterful, and I am an advocate for that. And we wanna talk about what are the intro steps if you wanna be on that pathway of self-mastery with or without plant medicine.
1: Yeah, really, really good point. So do make sure that you stay tuned until a little bit later in the episode because they then are gonna both give you beautiful, practical ways to start, that some that will involve psychedelics, if that feels what you're called to, and some that do not at all. Ways to prepare your body, your mind, your heart, your soul to experience these initiations if and when you become ready. So for me, this journey was actually pretty challenging. I felt um, not super comfortable in my body. I was sick. I was on day two of my period. It was cold, I was a little shivery. Um, there was, because I started with a group of tourists around me, I was very aware and sensitive to other people coming in and there was owls and birds. And so even when the people were gone, I thought that the owls and the birds were other people. So I never fully felt alone or private or safe. And to our point of this being quite advanced, I think had I not been meditating for 16 years and had not done therapy and had not been working with medicines for so long, it could have either been really intense and not been able to get out of it or just felt like I I maybe would have gotten stuck. Mm -hmm. I'm just acknowledging that people think like, oh, you do drugs, and it just feels great all the time. But that's that's a very Western way of thinking about drugs, because oftentimes we're taking drugs to numb or to ease pain and mostly psychedelics, it will show you the thing that you have not dealt with. It will actually give you the mirror of whatever it is that is keeping you from 24 hour a day bliss that is keeping you from that God consciousness, which is all of our birthrights. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was, I mean, obviously, we sometimes get sick, periods are a monthly thing for women who are you know, in their menses stage of life. So it wasn't that there was anything necessarily wrong there, but it was just a little uncomfortable. Mm. And so for me, it felt like, how do I find the joy in each moment? How do I come into the present of each moment? And the thing I felt like sharing was just how hilarious it was, like even though it was uncomfortable, like how much we laughed Mm. and how it wasn't even silly. It actually felt like very cosmic humor. Mm. And I love that quote of like, why is God laughing? Oh, because she's in on the joke,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: Like there is a great cosmic joke when you start to dance with unity consciousness itself. Mm-hmm. And and even despite my sort of like oh, rocky, icky start, still I was able to access hours and hours of laughter and beautiful ecstatic transmissions between you and I, where it felt like when we were in deep unison that their antennas were merging and like our roots were going deep into the earth and like a funnel opened and just rivers of divine intelligence in all directions flowing through us. And it was so wildly beautiful. And then at the end, so you were so smart, like you knew exactly what time we should have called our driver. And he came a little earlier than we would have loved. And so we hear this man, hello, hello. And, and we weren't ready to come out of a cave. Like No one was really ready to see us in society. We were not ready. We had fully disintegrated into the, all, into the abyss of everything. Mm-hmm. And so we made a choice of like, okay, we're going to stay in this. We're going to pay this person extra. We're going to text him when we get up. And I really want to honor us for that because it would have been easy to slip into like, oh, let's be a good girl. Let's be on time. Let's be responsible. I should. And we both made the choice of like, no, we came here for this. Mm. Like this transmission is not complete. Mm. There is more that wants to happen here. Mm. And I was really proud of us really owning that. Yeah. But I'd love for, if you would share with folks, like what felt like your journey or your learning or anything that
0: you had to face in the cave? So once we had descended because we really went into like the belly of the cave like it was a deep huge cave. I would say it was like the stories I'd been told about myself like I have to look pretty I have to be nice I have to care about things that maybe I don't care about right. It just started to like melt that's it literally felt like it was melting mm-hmm. and I could feel myself belonging to the earth like I felt animal but in a really beautiful way like instinctive and alive and sharp in my senses mm-hmm. you know and uh, as that melted and melted there was like this primordial which like very ancient like before language goodness In my body. And I was feeling, you know, I said, like, what was it like to be spiritual before there was spiritual? And you asked me what I meant when I said that. And I was like, what it felt like when spiritual wasn't the separate thing. Like, you just were, you know, you just experienced energy, you just experienced divine states of rapture or connection Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a whole story of this religion and that religion and this war and this book and this right and this wrong and this heaven and this hell it just was so I was feeling that I also asked you at some point like I, I mentioned something before right and wrong right just this like beingness Yeah. And I want to just
1: name that exactly because that felt like really powerful medicine for me. And I'd love to gift that sentence to everyone listening to this right now. You asked me the question that can you imagine what it was like before right and wrong, before good and bad? Yeah. And I really sat with that. Like at what point in my Emily Fletcher individuality psyche, did I ingest the idea of right and wrong? Mm -hmm. When in our culture did we start to think of things as good or bad? And for years, I've always loved the Shakespeare quote, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Mm -hmm. In the Vedas, there's no such thing as right or wrong. There's just creation, maintenance and destruction. Mm -hmm. And so these ideas very much resonate with me, but it felt like a deeper, more primal, more ancient knowing of that in that cave, where it was like you are goodness because you exist. Mm. There is, it becomes more like light and shadow. Oh, the sun is shining on the mountain, great, that side is warm, and there's a shadow cast by the mountain. It does not make the shadow bad or good, it does not make the light good or bad. It's so like that really resonated in my cells yesterday. Who were you before right and wrong? Who were you before patriarchy? And that also brought up something that blew my mind last night that we were talking about at dinner. Is this idea of mono mind? Mm. So I've been getting really deep into internal family systems lately, which is a type of therapy um, where it's almost like healthy multiple personality disorder. It's like healthy bifurcation of your persona so instead of thinking that i have a mono mind one mind i am angry i am sad i am good i am bad that instead you start to look at all the parts of you Mm. well there's a part of me that's sad Mm. there's a part of me that's angry there's a part of me that's scared there's a part of me that's jealous there's a part of me that's proud and and i last night i said i said to you at dinner do you think that when we practice monotheistic religions, Mm -hmm. where we have one God whose basic job, as we're taught in Sunday school, is to judge us as good or bad, drugs are bad, sex is bad, money is good, power is good. Mm -hmm. If you have a monotheistic religion with one God and your relationship with your own brain is a mono mind, I am good, I am weak, I am strong, it felt like we really forgot the parts work
2: mm.
1: of naming the little the parts of ourselves. And I was likening that back to the times where we had multiple deities, mm. where we had different anthropomorphizations of the divine. Where we had, you know, Lakshmi representing abundance, or Parvati representing music, or Shiva representing the destroyer of irrelevance, or whatever pantheon you want to look at. I think there's something too, and something I really want to explore If your version of God is parts, there's many parts of the divine, how would that change our relationship with ourselves if we could really honor and name and celebrate the different parts of our own psyche? Mm -hmm. So, anything else you wanna share about your cave experience before we go on to give people some ways that they can get started and, and prepare, if this feels charming?
0: Just a final piece is that I think when people think before good and bad and right and wrong, that would mean that we just all did horrible fucked up shit. And I think what's missing in that is this sense of our own wholeness, our own aliveness, our own heart. And it's like understanding impact and taking responsibility but without everyone else telling you how you should be telling you what will happen to you if you don't behave like this or that it's like a time when your own navigation system is more online you're less controlled and more alive
1: yeah it feels like in there's schools of thought in child rearing where you're teaching your child to either be externally motivated or internally motivated. And so like rewards and punishments is an external motivation, it's extrinsic. Oh, if I eat my vegetables, I'll get the cookie. If I get good grades, I get the bike. Versus teaching kids to keep coming home to themselves. And like, oh, I eat, I feel better when I eat vegetables. I'm proud of myself when I make good grades. And that feels quite similar to me. Of Like, am I looking outside? And, And when we were asking, we were having the conversation about, if we were to like look at the net effect of, let's say, monotheistic doctrine religions, net effect, net positive, net negative, mm. and if you just sort of try it on as a thought experiment, if we extracted monotheistic dogma from the planet, I think the fear is that we would have this like anarchist, rape, murderous, robbing society. Mm. And you said, what a what a dismal view of the human psyche, of the human condition, Mm -hmm. right? And I think this religion that has no name, a society where people are sovereign, where people are liberated, where people do remember that they are God, Mm -hmm. seems that your hypothesis is that actually there's an inherent goodness, there's an inherent compassion, there's inherent generosity.
0: By and large, right? There are some humans where that is not the case, but we forget how good the vast majority of us actually are just inherently
1: mm, beautiful mm. so if you were going to guide someone who's listening to this who's perhaps never done plant medicine is interested in starting what would you recommend as, as some first steps
0: to prepare their body their minds their souls well as you and i have been talking right like some level of self-connected practice is so important, right? And to have a foundation of being able to navigate yourself. So whether that's a meditation practice, whether that's being in therapy. So having a practice where you're sober and you navigate challenging things inside of you. So doing internal family systems with a therapist, doing breath work, having a strong yoga practice, right? All of that teaches you to not only connect with yourself, but to learn how to love and hold yourself when things are challenging. Mm -hmm. And this creates an underlying foundation of inner strength that we all deserve to have, that I think is actually natural to humanity. But if we're not taught it, we have to learn it nowadays. So having a practice like that, because that helps you navigate so deeply, And then if you want to take psychedelics, finding a trustworthy guide, right? Someone who comes recommended, someone who has a strong history, like don't just haul off and do mushrooms with like, you know, your local hippie or whatever, or like your local like new life coach, who's like here to now coach the coaches. Like really like, does the person have experience? Have they been doing it for a long period of time? Ask them lots of questions. It's a deep and important role that that guide has, whether they come from traditional indigenous societies that are serving plant medicine, you still wanna make sure that shaman is trustworthy, Mm -hmm. or they are a um, therapist who's been trained and certified to do plant medicine ceremonies or ketamine um, sessions uh, and ketamine assisted therapy. Really do the research, Mm -hmm. really ask the questions Mm -hmm. and make sure not only is this person trustworthy, but do you feel safe with them is very important yeah and it's a personal
1: relationship right like you're not going to marry every person you date Mm -hmm. i think it's okay to date some therapists it's okay to date some medicine people like just feel into it and trust your own intuition also i just heard lauren Tell saying you know just because someone's a therapist Like, she was basically encouraging therapists to do the medicine Mm -hmm. because a lot of people who are certified and have the degree are now, because it's so popular, starting to serve medicine, but they themselves have not done it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that even though they have a certification, make sure that they have also worked with that medicine. Mm -hmm. Because how could you guide someone down a road that you've never been on?
0: Mm -hmm. And to understand, like, if you feel drawn to what we're articulating magical realms, high priestess activation, working with energy, to know that psychedelics are a powerful fast track to that, but that every spiritual practice will wake you up to that and that you can do it sober with your endogenous neurochemistry. And in fact, you should be doing that no matter what, even if you are doing a plant medicine journey. And so practices like breathwork and meditation, classical hatha yoga, All of that sacred sexuality practices, right? My teachings, my lineage, can activate uh, psychedelic states of consciousness sober. And learning how to activate that in your own nervous system is so powerful, so important for us to be able to return to our mystical nature and know how to be with ourselves. Yeah,
1: and I just want to really like honestly share like the profundity of that work. I went on your retreat last year for Vita Coaching, and I'm in now Vita Coaching, and 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, a hundred women in this room having, you would have thought that every single person in that room was on giant doses of some sort of psychedelics, like wild stuff happening, stone cold sober. And so you do not have to work with exogenous chemicals, like you absolutely can get to these states internally. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I think it's best to be able to do that internally before you start to dance with the medicine. And sometimes the medicine will give you a window of what is possible that allows you to access it more easily without the medicine on the other side. So no right or wrong, but I think some real, um, really important foundations would be one, intention, Mm -hmm. two, guide, three, set and setting for integration Mm -hmm. right like these are some some pretty necessary ingredients if you want to not only have um a healthy expansive journey but also one where the magic gets integrated into the rest of your life instead of just like experience chasing because look i have definitely experienced chase like i love doing drugs i think they're super fun i do them recreationally sometimes and there's also ceremonial, healing, ritualistic ways to do it.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. I think too what people can miss if you only take psychedelics and you don't have some sort of spiritual practice is you think that that level of magic and activation only comes from a psychedelic. So what was so beautiful for me, because even though I did take LSD 20 years ago, I did way more spiritual practice than I did psychedelics. I probably Mm -hmm. did a psychedelic once or twice a year whereas i did spiritual practice almost every day for 10 years and so when i would take psychedelics after doing that much i was doing hatha yoga i was doing meditation i was doing uh chakra activations through the tantric lineage i was like oh when i take magic mushrooms it's an extension of spiritual reality like it's actually showing me a deeper spiritual reality but i touch that when I do deep Hatha yoga practice, when I do deep breath work. And if you're like, I never experienced that in my yoga practice, or I've never experienced that in meditation, you usually then haven't gone deep enough and done it for long enough because this color's getting brighter, tastes getting more exquisite, a freedom activating within you is absolutely accessible to your nervous system. And the beauty of plant medicine is it can get you there very quickly Mm -hmm. but if you don't learn how to do it sober and how to do it often then you won't be able to tie it into your everyday life and I think that's what people mean by integration is can you take what you experienced on psychedelics and start to actualize it in your everyday life. Live that magic, live that freedom, live that connection to the divine. And so a regular spiritual practice and someone who helps you integrate the experience will help you do that. So it's not just, oh, LSD is my super highway to magic. It's like, I live magic in my everyday life and LSD just helps remind me of more.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for articulating that. And I think if we go back to the original impetus for this high priestess pilgrimage, and one of the things that we got as the transmission in Eleusis was that these medicine women, these priestesses, were so dedicated to helping people remember the truth of who they were, the truth of who they are, the religion that has no name, that you are not dependent on a dogma, you are not dependent on an institution, you do not need to pay someone else 10% of your earnings to get to god you do not need to confess your sins in order to be sin free or holy you already are holy and so i would i think it's an important point that we do not want to move that dependency on an external organization to get to god and then transplant that to the drugs right so so thank you for naming that We wanna always be moving the power and the divinity inside of ourselves, that we are God pretending to be human, which felt like the original impetus of the religion that has no name. Yes,
0: and where my healing has been, right, because I was so dedicated to teaching people how to get to these magical states of consciousness and energy awakening sober. Like, that was a huge part and has been a huge part of me as a teacher. But there was a bit of shaming of plant medicine, which can be part of the Eastern tradition. Certainly, every Tantra teacher I had looked down on people who took plant medicine, right? And there can be this othering in those traditions of indigenous practices and indigenous teachings. Also, right, I grew up Catholic, so... Anything with psychedelics and plant medicine is also looked down upon from my ancestry and the society I grew up in. So it was kind of like, oh, you know, find it sober and if you do it on plant medicine, it's cheating. What I see now is every society on Earth, if you go back far enough, used plant medicine. Why? right? Because it is a teacher, because it can give you access to these incredible truths, because it can show you what's real. And every society on earth also had spiritual practices, teachings, and lineage that were done sober. You did both. And so what I'm seeing now is the fastest, most integrated path actually includes both because sometimes i think if you do so much spirituality without plant medicine honestly you can get a little rigid too Mm. you know you can get so certain and almost like dogmatic and i think the plants and these psychedelics really teach us to play in this reality they show us that it's mysterious and magical and fun and spirituality doesn't have to be so so like you know serious all the time
1: Yes, and yesterday was so fun, yeah. even with the cold, even with the tourists, even with the slippery rocks. Like still, we laughed our faces off yes. for hours and hours and hours. And and yes, like thank you for naming that too. Like it doesn't have to be so serious. Like it, it can and arguably, dare I say, should be playful. Yeah. Yes. Wow, Olayla, I love you so, so much. I'm so grateful to have had this wild ride with you um so i want everyone to make sure that they listen to part four because we we purposefully left out a few very juicy details from the cave which you are definitely going to want to listen to over on leila's show which is called this tantric life where we are going to do part four of this high priestess pilgrimage series there also i want to make sure that everyone checks out leilamartin.com where you can learn more about vita coaching which is one of the most potent and powerful ways to access altered states of consciousness, stone cold sober that I have ever come
0: across. (laughs) It's a tantric approach to sex love and relationships and it's a professional training, 700 hours. So you really get to a level of mastery. So I'd say for anyone who's listening to this, who is hungering, you're like, okay, but how, right? this is a path. It's a life path. It's a methodology. It's a process. And so one of the reasons why Vita Coaching is a year-long plus program is so you can really immerse yourself in the practices. You can really understand the why of the teaching. So if you're feeling that hunger and you're like, I still don't get it yet, that's often because a methodology is needed to really follow a process and a practice so that you understand these teachings in your own body in such a powerful way, and then you'll really get it.
1: Yes, 100%. And also I'll share that you know one of the most powerful tools that you can use both for getting clear on your intention with these ceremonies and also for integration afterwards is meditation. And so, I mean, y'all know I have dedicated the last 13 years of my life to helping people to be able to access these states of consciousness on their own every day, twice a day. And so I'd love for you to share your experience of, of Ziva and how that has
0: danced with your medicine journey. So, yeah, I mean, when you initiated me into Ziva, I fell in love with meditation. Mm. Like I started meditating all the time. I had a sometimes twice a day practice, but definitely once a day, which was a huge win after like, you know, 10 or 15 years of really wanting a personal meditation practice. And meditation became a sanctuary rather than a chore, which Mm. was so beautiful. But I also want to share what I see in you Mm. because of the way that you meditate. And because of Ziva, you are the most alive woman I know, you have such a joy in you you can find the magic in any situation i watch you navigate challenges with so much grace you are like living every day you've called in the most magnificent relationship you're the most epically sexually fulfilled you have this dream business you're a mind-blowingly amazing mother you were able to transition from your marriage with so much love and so much heart and i really see that so much of that and even what we were able to do on this journey the depth of our friendship the depth of your wildness the depth of your safety the depth of your permission comes from your anchoring in ziva meditation and the fact that you do that twice a day you're so dedicated to it it has fundamentally transformed you as a human to be able to live a life of magic and abundance Mm. and joy
1: i'm crying (laughs) which i welcome thank you so much for being such a beautiful mirror you live so much magic in the fact that that is the lens through which you see me i take is outrageously high praise so thank you and thank you so much for coming on this journey with us thank you for listening to this with an open heart and our only intention in sharing this was to make a bridge to the outrageous gift that nature has given us and to wake up any curiosity inside of you, which might inspire you to take the next right step for you on your journey. So we love you so much. Make sure you check out episode four, This Tantric Life, and we'll see you on the next episode. And if you like it, please do subscribe to the podcast, screenshot this, post it on Instagram. You can tag at the Layla Martin and at Ziva Meditation, and we will see you next time. I cannot say it enough, I believe that bliss is your birthright and the only thing keeping us from 24 hour a day bliss is stress. And so now I wanna ask you, what do you think happens if a whole group of people who all believe that bliss is our birthright come together to meditate and pray and eradicate the stress from our bodies? Well, let's find out. Because about every month, I do something called a bliss activation, and you are invited to join me and thousands of like-minded people all around the globe for our next bliss activation. We will meditate, we will answer questions, we will do hot seat coaching, we will breathe, we will put our attention on that which we want to grow, which is our bliss, and yes, the bliss of the collective. So if this sounds like it is right up your alley, go to zivameditation.com slash activate. That is Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash activate. Join me and amazing like-minded people from around the world to activate the bliss that is your birthright. And this is totally free. This is my gift to you. Go to zivameditation.com slash activate.